0: May it just minister to our hearts, may it encourage us, Lord, that are in Christ Jesus today, that God, you are sovereign, that you chose us and you've elected us, you've predestined us, but yet, Lord, you bring us to a place today, like we look in Romans chapter 10, that you made us choose. You didn't force us to go to heaven. You didn't twist our arm. It wasn't irresistible grace. Oh, it's irresistible in the sense once we understand it. No, they go, man, this is it's like a great dessert. It's just irresistible. But, but we have the ability. It's a gift. And we know with a gift I can receive a gift or I can reject a gift. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand, Lord, what it truly means to be saved. We don't want to struggle with our salvation. We, we want the security that you desire that we have as our lives are in you. And so, Lord, we give you our hearts afresh this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of our salvation. Thank you for making it known to us, Lord. Thank you for giving us eyes that can see and ears that can hear, Lord, what the Holy Spirit would speak to us. And, Lord, may you, may you do that today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's important to note that, you know, faith and salvation cannot be separated. You cannot separate faith from salvation uh, they, they go hand in hand together you know and our faith you know some would teach you know they want to say that your faith is actually in your faith and that's not true at all you know what we see here that Paul is teaching that is our faith is in a person our faith is in God himself there is an object of our faith it's in the one who saves us your faith doesn't save you Jesus saves you. That's why it takes away all the boasting, right? Because otherwise, if it was your faith, you could go around and say, well, I'm saved because of my faith. No, that's not true. You're saved because what? Because God loved you, that he sent his son into this world, and he died for you on the cross, and he rose again for you, and you're believing that. But it all begins, and that's what Paul's saying. That's why in, in Romans chapter 9, he deals with the sovereignty of God, the election of God, the predestination of God, the plans of God. And then in chapter 10, it's almost like he stops and he goes, well, but also it's like it's, it's a two-sided coin. And he says, but you have to choose. In God's sovereignty, he has made it that every one of us has to choose. That choice is before us. Just having faith, like we, we could say, it's really, it's worthless. Faith alone. Only to have faith. You go, oh, I just have faith. I, I, I have faith. Because like I said, our faith isn't in our faith. It's in Jesus. Only faith. When scripture talks about, you know, faith alone, it's faith in Jesus Christ alone, not faith in your faith alone. And this is what Paul is saying that the Jews had missed. I mean, the Jews, you could say, did they have tremendous faith? And you go, absolutely. Their faith wasn't in God, though. Their faith was in what? The law. They thought the law was going to save them. And like I shared with you, you go, can you be sincere and sincerely wrong? Absolutely. And that's where Paul's heart was breaking for the Jews. They were sincere, but they had missed it. And it wasn't because it wasn't there. It was right in front of them. They just hopscotched over it, which is easy to do. We all tend to do that in our lives. That's why we thank God for his grace. We tend to see the things that we want to see, right? We tend to believe the things that we want to believe. Sometimes even when people are confronted with truth, they go, ha. Ah, You know, you see that all the time in the news, you know, that, so, Hey, well, what about this? Oh, well, I don't like this person or I don't believe in this. And you go, well, what if about this? And they, ah, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And the beauty of truth is I remind you almost every Sunday, Jesus said the truth, you'll know, and the truth will set you free. See, God's not, not afraid of a, a conversation or a dialogue. He can prove it. Jesus said, if you don't believe the words that I speak, believe the things that I do. Because he walked the walk and he talked the talk. That was the opposite of hypocrisy, right? Jesus is going, whatever I tell you, I do. And whatever I did, I said I was going to do. You can line it up. You can look at it. That's why the Bereans would say, Paul, we listen to what you say. But we're going to go home and search the scripture and see if it's true. Does it line up? And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Listen, study, go home for yourself. Because you're not going to stand before me. You're going to stand before the, the true and the living God one day. And we're all going to give an account of our lives. Did we act upon the things that, that he spoke to us in his word? Larry prayed that, you know, that, that it's not me. I mean, if I'm reading his word and you, if only I, if I didn't say a word other than just reading his word, you would still be responsible for that. Even if you go, oh, I didn't really understand what it said. Because we have the Holy Spirit. God confirms his word with his word. See what Paul understood, and what I pray we understand today is we don't gain, you know, God's righteousness by works. You know, we gain God's righteousness by confessing and believing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, because God's completely sovereign. You know, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. I gave you a definition of that. I said God is able to do what He pleases with whomever He chooses, whenever He wishes. And I said, you know, in other words, God can do whatever He wants, where He wants, and when He wants, with whom He wants. Because God is free to do as he pleases. And, you know, one of the things that pleases God, and you can't miss this, what pleases God is that you have a choice and I have a choice. God created us in his image. We have the ability to choose. And, and that's why, you know, when I titled this, you know, and the big if, because, you know, it's over 1,700 times, you know, in scripture, you can find the word if You know, I think there's 574 times in the New Testament alone, you'll find the word if, and the majority of them are in the New Testament and the gospels in the New Testament. And that means the majority of time it's Jesus who's using the word if, but I want you to think about something. Those of you that will go study this, when you see the word if in the gospel account where Jesus used it, the if is always on the side of man. It's never on the side of God. So what that's saying is, God has always put the choice on our side. God God has, you know, this is the thing where we'd get lost in this, in God being a choosing, electing, predestinating God, right? Is that he always has. It's not like he, you know, uh, one day, like, you know, he made a choice. Like, you know, he studied your life. It'd be like this, you know, that you go, you know, I I really didn't want to save you. But then, you know what? I was watching you for a while and you did a couple really good things. So I decided... Hey, you know, I'll save you. Like, he changed his mind in one respect. You go, no. But we, we do. There was a time when Scripture says that we were what? Enemies of God. And yet, how did we not become an enemy of God? By believing on his Son. If, if, if you would what? If you would repent. If you would believe. If you would change your ways. If you would heed my count. You just go through Scripture. All the if, 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 if. It's always on our side, You know, pick it up there in verse 5 of Romans uh, 10. It says, For Moses writes the law, the law's way of making a person right with God, that it requires obedience to all its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, Don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is in your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. And there's that that word in verse 9. If, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does it say there? You will be saved. If, if you will be saved. It says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the Lord and the name of the Lord will be saved. So you look there, you know, in verse 5. You know, he, he was obviously, you know, Moses was making, you know, the path to righteousness through the law. And he was making it clear to us. If you want to, like I said, live by the law, meaning you're trying to find life, you know, through the law of Moses. And he's going, then you got to keep every single jot and tittle, all 22 volumes, Talmud of the Jews, completely. There's no margin for error. Because as I shared with you last week, if you break just one little tiny, tiny part of the law. What did James say? You've broken the whole thing. So he's, he's definitely making it a a deterrent. You are not going to be saved by trying to keep the law. Matter of fact, scripture makes it adamantly clear. If you live by the law, what will happen? You will die by the law. But verses six and seven, you know, tell us, you know, but faith's way of getting right with God, you know, tells us that, you know, the gospel, you know, isn't telling us, you know, that, you know, We've got to go find Jesus. Aren't you glad? I mean, think about this. Just by a show of hands, how many, when God found you, you weren't looking for Him? When you think about this, yeah, some of you go, yeah. It's like, let me ask you this: Was the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, was he looking for God? No. It says he was a persecutor of the church. You know, he was on his way to Damascus. He was, you know, 300 miles, you know, from Jerusalem. I mean, he was so zealous, you know, to, to imprison Christians. He, he, Jesus was the furthest thing from his mind. But God was looking for him. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, that, that's a comfort that we can have. That even when we weren't looking for God, God is looking for us. And that's really what Paul is, is reminding the children of Israel. They're the nation of Israel. You know, that we don't have to go, you know, find Jesus. We don't have to go up to heaven, as it were, you know, and try to bring him down. And we don't need to search amongst the dead, you know, and some, trying to figure out some way to bring him back. And so you go, what is Paul talking about there? Well, it's, it's something that, you know, we saw in chapter 9. It says that the Jews tripped over, right, was God's promised Messiah. So if you're talking about going up into heaven, you're talking about what? The incarnation, That's one of the things that the Jews couldn't handle, right? Jesus, you know, God coming. I mean, how many people have you met in your life? They go, I can't believe that God came in the flesh. That just doesn't, I mean, you're telling me that God, God came down in the form. I mean, a virgin had a baby and God was born. I mean, they just can't wrap their mind around it, right? And they can't, can't accept that. Guess what? The Jews couldn't either. And then Paul says, you know, and there's no need to go down to the dead. What are we talking about? The resurrection. The Jews had a hard time with that, that Jesus said, what, on the third day? He said, he will rise. Destroy this temple, he said, in three days, you know, what? I will lift it up. And they're tearing their clothes, you know. And yet, <laughs> they believe something, because at his death, what do they do? They make sure they got a Roman guard over that thing, right? They got a seal put on that thing. Nobody can mess with it, because they're going, he said, you know, we'll see, you know, how things, but What? The Jews struggle with that. It was a hard, hard thing for them to accept that as a requirement of salvation. Jesus. And yet Paul is saying, yeah, that message is not difficult. It's on our lips. It's in our heart. All we have to do is believe and receive. Like I said, I love that. I share that bumper sticker with you. you know, I would change it, but it used to say it said, God settles it. God said it. You know, what? That settles it. You know, I believe it, or, you know, it said, God said it, I believe it, that settles. That's what it was. It said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And I said, no, 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 it's actually wrong. It should be, God said it, that settles it, and I believe it, right? Because that's true. That, that's really how it is. But the Jews wanted to do it the other way. They would they, like that bumper sticker. They go, God said it, you know, I believe it, and that settles it. That puts it on me. No, it's not how it works. Verse eight, you know, Paul's quoting, like I read to you last week from Deuteronomy 30, another saying, you know, of Moses, he says, you know, uh, no, the message he says is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. So what Paul is doing there in verse eight, he's going, even Moses taught that salvation is by faith. It's not by works, it's by faith. He goes all the way back to you know, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and he's pointing it out to him. He's like, salvation has always been by God's grace through faith. It's not of works. I like what William MacDonald writes in his commentary. He said, Paul is saying that the gospel is near, it's accessible, it's intelligible and easily obtained. It can be expressed in familiar conversation, he said, in your mouth. And it can be readily understood in the mind, in your heart. Deuteronomy 30, 14. It is the good news of salvation by faith, which Paul and the other apostles preached. Verse 9, again. If, if, the big if. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I, I read one of the best quotes this week. It was so funny because people talk, well, I believe in my heart. And scripture says that you don't just believe in your heart. You believe in your heart and you profess it with your mouth. That it has to involve your intellect and it has to involve your heart. Because our heart is a dangerous thing by itself, isn't it? The Bible says that the heart is what? It's deceitful. That it's wicked. Have you ever followed your heart and ended up in the wrong place? Be honest. Raise your hand. You ever followed your heart and ended up in the wrong place? Yeah. I love this quote. It said, "The heart, or emotions, the emotions have no IQ." Now that is funny. The emotions have no IQ because that's the thing. It's like you go because you ever have you ever had somebody tell you about how how they followed their heart, and you went. You are so stupid. And you can only talk to your friends like that, right? And they're just like, what? And you go, you you did what? And they go, well, I, I know, I was just following my heart. And you go, well, you know what the Bible says? I know, I know. And I just, I, I thought about that this week. You go, man, how many times have I done that? And you go, why? And you go, because my heart doesn't have an IQ all by itself. It's a dangerous thing. Don't trust it. You know, lean not in your own understanding. So, you know, like I said, in, in Romans chapter 9, you know, we learned you know, the sovereignty of God. And like I said, meaning that God is in control and that salvation is God's idea. It's not man's. You know, that salvation originates in the heart of God. God is a choosing God. He's an electing God. You know, we found out, you know, uh, last week, all those things. And then yet Paul puts a wrench in it this week. You know, here we see in verse 9, he adds the word if, you know. Uh, to imply that, you know, that you and I have some responsibility in salvation, that we have to make a choice. And I think that's why when you, you really look at this, you know, the word if there is probably one of the most important words in all the Bible. Like I said, over 1,700 times in the Old and the New Testament, 574 times in the New Testament alone, like I said, and most of those are in the gospel accounts with Jesus using the word if. And like I said, when he used the word if, it's always on the man's side of the equation. It's always on our side. It's never on God's side. Choice. We have to choose. In his sovereignty, that's what God has said. Yes, I'm choosing, I'm electing, but in that, my sovereignty, I'm saying you must choose. Does God know the answer to your choice? Absolutely. We don't. And guess what? It'll get flushed out through our life as we walk in it. And yet we understand, you know, the gift of salvation is just that. It's a gift. And in my choosing, I can only do one of two things. I can accept it or I can reject it. But there is no middle ground. It's gifted to us, we understand, by grace alone. It comes from heaven. That's why when Paul is talking about in Deuteronomy 30, we don't have to go to heaven to pull it down. In the incarnation, what happened? God himself came to earth. See, religion, I always remind you this. Religion is what? In the truest sense, it's man trying to reach God, right? Through human effort. It's like we're trying to reach up to God. Well, grace is what? It's God reaching down. God coming down. You can always picture that, the incarnation. And grace is always, always from God to man. It's never from us to God. It always originates in the heart of God. James 1.17 says, you know, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Every good gift comes from God. And we can rest in that. Unmerited favor. You know, we talk about that a lot. Unmerited favor. That's what grace is. We can never earn God's grace. Ephesians 2 says, Matter of fact, turn in your Bible there with me. If you've got your Bible handy, turn to Ephesians chapter two here real quick. Let's look at this. It's it's important that we get this. I don't think I included that, you guys, in your notes. Ephesians chapter two, it'd be verses four um, through nine. Ephesians chapter two, four through nine, NLT. It says, but God is so rich in his mercy And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Now, notice he didn't do it beforehand. He did it when what? When he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And then he goes on the verse you're probably more familiar with. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believe and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. We belong to him. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He goes on to say, see, God doesn't force us to be saved. If the big if, but he lays a choice before us. And it's never anything that we can take credit for. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord. You know, and we can never forget, you know, all that it meant to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, if a Gentile called Jesus in the Greek language kurios, meaning Lord, he was making Jesus equal with Caesar. And there were some consequences that would come with that. And so you better be sure in what you believe. Again, you think about that. And calling him Lord was doing something else. It's the same thing that Jesus would ask of us. It's the struggle that all of us should have today. Jesus said, You know, you call me Lord, but what? But you don't do the things that I ask. And then that we roll over to grace. We go, oh, God, thank you for your mercy, right? Thank you for your grace. But he is Lord. We don't make him Lord, he is Lord. He was Lord before the foundations of the world ever was. But you have a choice and I have a choice to make him the Lord of my life, to make him the Lord of my heart. So we thank God that he's my savior, right? That Jesus came to save what? Sinners. And I recognize that. But then to go, can you say that he's your Lord? And you go, well, what do you mean by Lord? And I go, exactly what I mean by Lord. Is he the Lord of your life? And you go, is that all of my life? Or does does it mean that he's Lord of part of my life? What would you say to that in your own heart of hearts? Would you say that Jesus just wants to be Lord of part of your life? Or do you believe that Jesus wants to be Lord of all your life? And there's the conviction today, because I know that's what the scriptures say. And I know that that's my struggle. And so I go, Lord, thank you. Thank you that, yes, you are both Savior and Lord, but thank you that you're my Savior. And thank you that as you, as what, you know, we're talking about sanctification and that work that God is working in all of our lives. He who has begun this good work in you, Paul would write what he's faithful to complete it. That we haven't arrived at that place yet, but he is working in us. And so his lordship is something that, you know, we don't resist. Actually, we want, we want a greater capacity of that. We're going, Lord, I want, I want more of you. I want, I want your lordship more in my life. You know, and you learn how to give up those things. And I think you can think back in your own life where maybe after you got saved, there were still things that you held on to, right? And then that, you know, it was kind of that, remind me of that story of the little girl, you know, who had the fake pearls and her, her father was trying to give her, you know, real pearls and she would go to bed every night. You know, if you have, you know, little children or, you know, we've got grandkids and they get a toy, they get something and man, they just clutch that thing. They love it. They won't give it up for nothing. And every night, you know, he would ask his daughter, he'd say, you know, honey, can, can I, would you give daddy your, you know, your pearls? And oh no, daddy, I would not. And he goes, but I have something better for you. Oh no, daddy, oh no, no. And he goes, do you love me? And she goes, yeah, goes, but you won't give me the, no, no, no. And this went on for, you know, for night after night until finally he just kind of gave up on it. But she didn't forget it because it kind of, it was important to her. And so the night that he he stopped doing it and she said, daddy, aren't you going to ask me for my pearls? And he said, oh, well, yeah, honey, would, would you give me your pearls? And she said, yes, daddy. And she hands him the pearls. And at that, he reaches into his pocket and he, he said, honey, he said, these pearls these are real. What you have, he said, they were just plastic. And he said, but mommy and I, we wanted to give you these real pearls, but you've got to be very, very careful with these because these, these are very, very expensive. And it, and it's kind of that way I, with God, that God wants the best for us. Amen. But we clutch these things, you know, it's that old expression of, you know, one in the hand, worth two in the bush. And you can think about probably in your own life where you've held on to something that, you know, you just you knew that God wanted it from you. And and part of you, you wanted to give it to him, but you struggled with it because it was something that you possessed. And when you got to that place that you went, but Jesus, I love you so much more. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm giving this to you. You found that he gave you something so much more when he gives us, you know, in the sense, more of Him, Can you get more of Jesus? And you go, oh, no, I got all of Him." It's like the Holy Spirit. You know, you got the Holy Spirit when you, when you got saved, but can you get filled again? People want to argue about that. Like I said, I'm just a simple-minded person. You know, I love D.L. Moody. As I began to study his works after I got saved, and he said, I believe, D.L. Moody said, I believe in second and third and fourth fillings, you know, with the Holy Spirit. He goes, I know some of you believe in only one. He goes, but, you know, I got to admit, he goes, D.L. Moody leaks. And he goes, so I'm asking God, fill me again. And I could relate to that. I get that. You know, Pastor Mike leaks, you know, and you go, so to be able to, to be filled again and again and again, that brings us back to what? Grace, grace. And a greater sense of his lordship, you know, in our life. It's not one and done, you know, it's done from his perspective. He sees the finished product, right? But I don't, and you don't. We're a work in progress. And it's such a wonderful thing, you know, that, and again, for the Jew, you think about this. I mean, the Jew to call him Lord, I mean, man, just say curios, you know, I mean, that was to recognize him as what? The word means God. And, and that was just a, a, a tremendous struggle. I mean, it is for people today. I mean, I, I look, every time I do any kind of search, I always find somebody going, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be God. How can he be God and talk about his father? So people reject that even today. The Jews had a tremendous struggle. So when they could come to a place and say, Jesus is Lord. He's curious. They're going, he is God. I believe in the incarnation. I believe that God came down. Is close, you know, and I believe that, yes, he, he was in the grave and he rose again just like he said that he would. And you go, wow, what a wonderful thing, you know, that that does. He says, you know, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I love that. You can highlight that in your Bible. You will be saved. This means, you know, believe everything that the Bible teaches about Jesus. Everything, his incarnation, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his death upon Calvary's cross, his bodily resurrection, you know, that he's returning in glory. You know, all these things. Because they what? They stress the completion or the finished work of our salvation upon Calvary's cross. It's a finished work. It's done. You will be saved. It's not, you know, I hope that, you know, I, I, no, it's done. When Jesus hung on that cross, he died. He said, it is what? Finished. That work of our salvation is finished. I love what Spurgeon writes here. He says, mere intellectual agreement with the facts of the cross and the resurrection is not enough. You must believe in your heart. And even that belief is not enough without accompanying action. Openly declare with your mouth. We believe everything which the Lord has taught but we must go a step further and trust him. So remember, what does it mean to believe? It means to act upon, right? It means to rely upon. It means to trust in. And in a, in a, in a, uh, really a rendering of that word that I hadn't really paid much attention to in the past, but I love it. It says to lay your weight completely upon it to lay your weight. That means, you know, you've seen those things, those faith, you know, acts like they had one, uh, they showed a camp the other day on Instagram. The lady's hooked up to a harness. She's got a helmet on and she, there's a guy standing on belay behind her and she's going to run and she's going to jump out face first. Right. And he's on belay. So what he was going to do is what was he going to do? He was going to pull on the rope, right? And then she wouldn't do a face plant. And that was part of trusting, you know, your partner. Well, the camera was on. He was talking to the person standing next to him. He wasn't paying attention to her. And she's going, okay, everybody. You know, I just want you to know, you know, that it takes great faith. And she's doing this whole spiel, you know, about, you know, trusting and everything else. And she runs and she dives and she lands right on her face. And the guy's standing back there and he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were going to go now. And you go, oh, man, that, you know, have you ever been called of God? People go. You know, Pastor Mark, I just struggle with trusting people. And I go, show me one passage of scripture where God said, put your trust in people. He said, love them, right? Who are you supposed to put your trust in? Jesus. Why? Because he's not going to let you down. I will let you down. You'll let me down. You're going to let one another down. But Jesus will never let you down. Jude says there's only one who's able to keep you from falling, right? And that is Jesus himself. And so... Spurgeon says, he says, we believe everything which the Lord has taught us, but we must even go a step further and trust him. It is not even enough to believe him as, as being the son of God and the anointed of the Lord, but we must believe on him. The faith that saves is not believing certain truths or even believing that Jesus is a savior, but it is resting on him, depending on him, lying with all your weight on Christ as the foundation of your hope believe that he can save you believe that he will save you at any rate leave the whole matter of your salvation with him in unquestioning confidence depend upon him without fear as you present uh, as you as your present excuse me your present and eternal salvation this is the faith which saves the soul yeah so true Faith that saves is never past tense. You might write that down. It's never past tense. Oh, what Jesus did. No, he's still doing, you know, for us today. It's always in the present tense. I mean, he has saved us. He's saving us. And then one day soon, ultimately, he's going to save us. Amen. You know, We we serve a saving God. Verse 10 goes on. It says, for it is by believing in your heart. He said that you're made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So the question, you know, arises, you know, why declaration or confession comes first in in verse nine and then belief, you know, in verse 10, 10, it actually becomes believe first and then declaration or confession. And then the answer is pretty simple. If you look there in verse nine, the emphasis, like I said, is on the incarnation and the resurrection. These doctrines are mentioned, what, in their chronological order. The incarnation came first. Jesus is Lord. He's always been Lord. And then he died and rose again. So, again, God raised him from the dead, chronologically. Then in verse 10, the emphasis is on the order of the events of our salvation. First, what do we do? We believe. And then what? We make a public declaration or confession of our salvation. So people go, oh, see, you know, it's, you know, it's got me all confused. It's not really that confusing. You know, confession—we have to understand—isn't a condition of salvation, but it's the inevitable. Spurgeon writes, outward expression of what has happened. In other words, you can't help yourself from sharing about God's amazing grace. Can you remember when you first got saved? Most everybody I talked to—that when they first got saved, one of the first things they wanted to do was tell somebody. They wanted—they wanted somebody else to be saved. They, they, there was somebody in their life that didn't know the Lord. And they wanted them to be saved. They couldn't. It's like Paul said, I cannot not share the gospel. I've got to share the gospel. Verse 11 goes on it says, And as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So, who does Paul say can be saved there? Anyone. Anybody. Anybody who places their hope and their trust in Jesus will never be disgraced. He's quoting Isaiah 28 16 there. You know, some might you know, think, again, making a public declaration of our faith would, you know, cause people to become fearful. People go, oh, you know, if you have to go public with your faith, you go, no, it actually is very comforting. I mean, you look around the world today, the world's pretty crazy, right? You think the world's pretty messed up today? Well, declaring that Jesus is Lord and believing that, I mean, really believing that, what do you believe? Jesus is coming back, right? Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for me. He's coming back for you. And when he comes back, what is he going to do? He's going to bring peace with him. We're going to experience peace on earth again. He's going to establish his throne right here on this earth. And you go, that doesn't, that doesn't make me fearful. That makes me what? Hopeful. It's like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we need you. And that becomes our prayer. Not, you know, Lord, don't come today. Cause you know, I still got that, you know, vacation i want to take you know or i'm still wanting to do this and people think that you go man short-sighted that that is that means we just lack complete understanding of what heaven is and again people go well is that a death wish and you go no it's not a death wish it's a rapture it's a rapture wish no that god would come and he'd take us out of here and he'd take us home i mean realize you know i mean jesus said i go to prepare a place for you he knows everything about you and he loves you and he's like i prepared a place for you that where i am you can be also for eternity, not just for a couple weeks, for eternity, that we'd tap into that. Jesus said, Matthew ten thirty two. he says, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. I mean, to think that when we're acknowledging him, you know, here on earth. You have to think he's acknowledging us in heaven. That's my boy. You know, that's my girl. Yeah, you know, Father, yeah, look at him. It's an encouraging thing. Verse 12 it says, Jews... And Gentiles are the same in their respect. So who can be saved? He's going, Jews, Gentiles, doesn't make any difference. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who what? Call on him. See, Jews and, and Greeks, I mean, they were proud of their national origin. You know, they thought because of who they were, they had the upper hand on salvation. And that's why Paul's bringing this up. because it doesn't make any difference if you're a Jew, you're a Greek. Everybody gets saved the same way. Again, what is it? It's not what you know. But what but what but who you know yeah your relationship with Jesus again he's Lord over all all then verse 13 and we close with this he says for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved so what does that tell us there? salvation it's not automatic just because Jesus died for the sins of the world doesn't mean that the whole world is saved He's quoting, you know, Joel 2.32 there, you know, to prove, you know, the universality of the gospel. I mean, and again, if you think about it in all the Bible, there's not a simpler statement regarding how salvation is found. People go, oh, you know, what does it tell us? How do you find salvation? It says, everyone who what? Read that with me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will what? Will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will. We'll be saved. And you go, I don't know if I would get it right. You know, go study the thief on the cross. It's one of the most fascinating salvation stories in all the Bible. I was telling Jason, uh, I'd listened to it the other day. It was Alistair Begg. Uh, it was on Instagram. And it was just a little blurt from a sermon. And he said, you know, if you start, if someone asked you, you know, how, how are you going to get into heaven? And if you start, he said, in the first person, you say, I, 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 he goes, you're wrong. He goes, you, you are wrong. He goes, it's third person. If it's not the grace of God, it's not the mercy of God. That's how you got saved. It wasn't because of you. Me, we have nothing to boast about, right? That's what Paul is saying. The only, our boast is in the Lord, that God loved me and that he sent his son for me. And so he tells the story, you know, uh, only the way that Alistair Begg can do it. And he says, you know, can you imagine? He said, I'd like to catch up with that fellow one day. And he said, you know, and he he goes, and he's like walking around heaven like this. And he goes, what, what are you doing here? How'd you get here? And he's gonna go, I don't know. And he goes, hey, but I know the story. He said, man, you were on the cross next to Jesus. You were one of the guys that was cussing at him. I know. And he goes, how are you here? He said, I, I have no idea. You know, and he goes, and then he goes into the whole concept, of, you know, he doesn't, even, the thief on the cross doesn't even have down the doctrine of salvation. He's never even been baptized in water, right? And then he goes through all these, you know, doctrinal theological things and they just keep going. So, you know, whoever's in heaven is, meets the thief on the cross or he says, I got to go get my, my supervisor. Cause you just, you know, and they come back and go, man, are you, are you sure? I mean, how, how did you, how did you get here? And he goes, all I can tell you is, uh, the guy in the middle on the, the guy in the middle cross he said, I could come. And, and there's something so wonderful when you understand that, when you think about, did he call in the name of the Lord? Obviously, you know, Jesus knowing his heart. Yes. You know, he, he said to him from the cross, he said, Lord, Lord, he understood that. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. So something that, that had been taught to him, something settled in his heart. And, and God knew his heart. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Those who call upon the name of the Lord. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The Bible says, you know, when you die, if you're in Christ, to be absent from the body is what? Be present with God. That you would have that peace. You'd have that comfort. That you would have that joy. I, I saw my wife last night. I was reading an article. He was a, he was a musician here in town. I don't know if you guys saw that. He was 80-something years old real accomplished musician. I think he played with like Buck Owens, Merle Haggard and stuff he, in his late eighties and uh, must've been suffering from dementia, but they found him and his wife out in the desert. Um, uh, he was still behind the steering wheel of the car. The car had run out of gas. His wife was sitting outside the car, leaning up against the, the back tire and they were both dead. And I thought, you know, what a, what a terrible way, you know, to die. And then without God, you go, that would just seem like so cruel and just such a, and you go, but in Christ, you go, if he's in Christ today, you go, yes, that, that was a, a tough thing You go. But to be absent from the body is what is to be present with the Lord is to have that hope, even that peace and that comfort. If you were family members and friends, I mean, what do you do if he didn't have a relationship with God? And you go, and that's the way that it ended. That wasn't the way God desired. It's not, he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance, that we would open our heart to him. I like what David Guzik writes with regard to verse 13. He says, again, we see in just a couple verses the emphasis on human responsibility. From Romans 9 alone, we might think that salvation is God's doing alone. But from Romans 10, we might think that salvation is man's doing alone. So together we see the matter from each perspective. And you're going to have people that will argue this, you know, till the day that they die. God is sovereign. God does predestine. God does elect. God does choose. And in yet his sovereignty, he said, you must choose as well. And how those work together? I mean, you can only follow what scripture tells you to do. And I think scripture makes it perfectly clear. It's man that gets it confusing. You read the scripture and you go, how can you be saved today? The Bible says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, what? You will be saved. As we close, my question for you, have you called upon the name of the Lord? of the Lord do you have that confidence today if you were to die and you were to stand before God and he said why should I let you into my heaven that you would never begin that conversation with going I I I that you'd be like the thief on the cross you go because the man in the middle cross he said I could come it's what Jesus did for you That's how a person is saved. For by grace you've been saved. It's what came down from heaven. And in the resurrection, and what came up again is how we can be saved. And my hope, like I said, you know, John 3.18 says, There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. then John 3.36, it says, And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. And so the hope for us today is call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Have you done that? If not, as we pray, I pray for you that you'd open your heart to him. Let's do that. Father God, as we close this service, uh, Lord, you've made it really clear here in chapter 10 that you've given us the ability, the opportunity, the privilege, the right, even the command to choose, to choose whether we would love you, whether we would serve you, whether we would receive you as Savior and Lord. And our prayer today is that each and every person here has done that. And yet, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Mike, you know, I, 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 I've never really done it. I've I believed. I've come to church my whole life, and never really had a moment where I said, "Jesus, you know, I, I receive you as my Savior, as the Lord of my life." Uh, don't be amiss today. You know, we need marked moments in our life. That's what a testimony is—to be able to testify that, you know, once I was lost, and now I was found. And, and not to think for a second that you saved yourself, but that you opened your heart to receive the gift of God. Maybe you've been trying to follow the law and trying to do everything that the law says to do, and yet you feel defeated today, and you should. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And your eyes are open to that today. You'd say, you know, Pastor Mike, that's me. Pray for me. I, I, I know I can, I can only get in because of what Jesus did for me. And I'm resting in that. I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to put all my weight on that today. I'm going to lay my weight upon what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to trust him. And if that would be you today, that's your heart. I'm sharing what you would be saying in your own heart. Before we go, I'd I'd love to pray for you. you Just let me know that you're here. If there's anybody at all, that's who you are today. You need God's grace in your life. You need salvation. Anybody at all? And Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace, for your amazing love, for your amazing mercy. Lord, what I pray for us going forward, that know the truth of your word, that have received it, as we'll see in the days ahead, that it would drive us, Lord, like the Apostle Paul not just to be happy that we're saved but again as we've been discussing in the last few weeks that you would break our heart for what breaks yours that lord the greatest possession that we have in this life is our salvation everything else is going to burn and so lord help us to help people recognize that truth that you are the way you are the truth and you are the life and no man comes to the father except by you and not to be afraid. Because Lord it's true. People don't have to like it. They don't, we don't have to force anybody. All Paul you, the apostle said was. One waters one plants. But God gives the increase. And so Lord have your way in through us. How beautiful are the feet of those. Who bring good news. You are the good news. And Lord may that good news be on our lips this week. Of all the things that we talk about. God may it be Jesus most of all we love you we bless you we praise you so we pray in Jesus name amen